Why don't you grab your seats, grab out your Bibles. We're going to join in a time around the Word this morning. But it's good to see you. It's good to be here. Anyone glad to be here? I think just in the current season we're in, with uh, illness abounding, just making it to church is a moment to celebrate and be thankful. Welcome as well to those joining us online. I know we've got a couple of sickies in, in our household again. We, uh, we did one round of COVID a couple of months back, but reserved a few, saved them for later, as you do. And phase two, round two, we just cannot get enough. And I think it continues to be a season, doesn't it, where we make our and hold our plans very loosely. I think the Lord is teaching us in the midst of everything going on, just that, that uh, path of dependency upon Him. So this week definitely didn't end up as planned, and I know my wife had all these holiday plans, and then you hit, hit holidays, get COVID, and then, okay, we'll do something different. And even this morning with the worship team and camera people and dropping left, right, and center, so there was one point I'm like, Lord, I don't know who's going to be here, but I know you will, and that's the main thing, and we will run with that and see what the Lord wants to do. But that does relate to what I want to share this morning. If you've got your Bibles... Jump to Matthew chapter 6. And we're in this series talking about what it means to be a wholehearted people. Set it up, of course, from Revelation, these stirring rebuke that Christ gives to the Ephesian church that sometimes we can kind of gloss over. Think, oh, well, you know, he's just encouraging. Well, he was encouraging them, but this is a a profound exhortation. It's a wake-up call saying, do not lose your first love. And so we've been exploring the different things that can dampen our affection, that can cause that flame of first love that we're called to live with to grow dim or perhaps even be lost entirely. And so there's been a number of themes looking at distraction and grumbling and passivity and close-heartedness. And I want to talk about this morning the reality of anxiety and moving from an anxious place to an assured place. If there's there's one truth in the midst of all the uncertainty in the last couple of years, it's that this continual um, evolving and swirling situation around us can cause our hearts to become anxious. And the scriptures speak directly to this. So if you're there, Matthew 6, we're going to read from verse 25. And before we do anything else, we're going to pray. Father, I just thank you that you are a God of presence. You're a God who, as John proclaimed as he began this gospel, he said that you're the God who's tabernacled amongst us. Not just visited, but you've made your dwelling place with us. And Jesus, as you encouraged your disciples before you ascended, you said, do not let your hearts be troubled. For although I'm going, I will send the one who is the comforter, the Holy Spirit himself. His presence, his power will be available even unto the end of the age. So Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you're a God who leads us. You're a God who guides us. And through the power of your spirit, you open our eyes to see the reality of who you are. So come, we pray. Through your scriptures this morning, would you use them for great impact 
Would you cause your words to bear fruit in our hearts and lives? That we'd see you more clearly, that we'd know you more intimately, we pray. King Jesus, in your name. Amen. So we're talking about moving from anxiety to assurance. And there's a wonderful picture here in Matthew chapter 6. So of course is the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus is, is teaching. I just think this is one of those passages of Scripture that we would do well to be in this every day. Not just reading the words, but really reflecting upon what Jesus is saying and allowing them to shape and to mold and to guide our hearts and our lives. And we're picking up the theme from verse 25, Jesus preaching and proclaiming. He says, "Is Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. Now, that's the key word. I want to highlight it up front and look at what Jesus has to say about this as we go through. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, there it is again, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. One more verse. Therefore, again for the third time, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. There's actually seven times in this particular passage that their phrase, anxious, is used. Three times specifically with the command, do not be Anxious. Are we getting the point? What is the theme that Jesus is trying to encourage us and instruct us in? It's around this picture of anxiety. Do not be anxious. And up front, we should say this word is some translations, the New King James says, you know, do not think about these things. Now, Jesus is not telling us that we're not to care about these things, that they shouldn't be forefront of our mind. In fact, he says that. God knows what we need. He knows. He knows that we have needs. But he's saying we're not to be anxious. And the word there that is used in this passage for being anxious is to be troubled, weighed down, or to be burdened by something. So he's not saying don't, don't think about them, don't care about them. We, we need to eat to survive. God knows that. We need clothes to wear. Someone say, Amen. Amen. Be a very different environment. If we took that literally. Don't worry about wearing clothes. He's not saying that. He's saying, do not be anxious. Do not be consumed by these things. Do not be burdened or weighed down. Do not be troubled in heart and spirit about these 
things, even the fundamental aspects and elements of life. So this is what's clear. Jesus is speaking here in this passage to a people who struggle with anxiety. Isn't that interesting? Seven times in this one passage, three specific direct commands, he's saying very clearly, do not be anxious. And he's, he's not saying that without reason or cause. He's saying that because clearly he was talking to a group of people who struggled with this issue of anxiety. And so we see in many ways, anxiety is nothing new. In fact, we could trace it much further back than this particular sermon that Jesus gives to the garden. What is the first response as Adam and Eve, they're, they're in this place of paradise in the very presence of God. And the moment that sin separates them, and Jesus comes looking, what happens? It says they hid because they were afraid. All of a sudden they were consumed with fear and anxiety that caused them to hide from the presence of the Lord and to cover themselves. So anxiety goes to the very natural fallen human condition. In fact, Jesus illustrates that. He says, as he's commanding the people around him not to be anxious, he's saying, because this is how the Gentiles live. This is just their natural condition. It's natural human nature for the Gentiles. And that word there literally just means people who don't know God. That's, that's how they live their lives. They are worried. They're consumed by all the things around them. But by the same token, he's then saying there should be a difference in the lives of people who do know God. So for, for the Gentiles, that's just, just natural. Their, their lives are, are dominated by cares and worry and anxiety about all those basic essentials of life. But for you, it should be different. So it should be no surprise then, given that anxiety goes to the very heart of the natural fallen human condition, that we live in an anxious society. It may not necessarily, for many of us here, be food and clothes. Maybe it's our jobs, our health, our money, our mortgage loans, the kids' schooling. Maybe it's cards. Maybe it's whether there's going to be toilet paper in the supermarket aisles, which again were bare this week, if anyone braved the supermarkets. There is plenty for us to be anxious and worried and concerned about it. And it's fascinating to me. Think this through. See, we live in the most lavish and prosperous and comfortable society, certainly here in the West. That's not the case in other parts of the world, but certainly in the West, it is the lavish, comfortable society. And yet we are more than ever an anxiety-riddled culture. There was one particular survey put out by the ABS beginning of this year, and they've surveyed over... <clears throat> 2020 and 2021, it's obviously a little bit happening there. And it's called the National Study of Mental Health and Wellbeing. A lot of fascinating statistics in there, but a couple that grabbed my attention. It said that over 50% of people, so this is current and it's in our society, will at some point in time in their life, some point in time in their lives, struggle with anxiety. Over 50%, one in two. In fact, it went on to say that Currently, one in three women and one in five men, so 20 to 30%, are being at this moment treated, clinically diagnosed and treated for anxiety. That, that staggers my mind. Over 50%. And 
20 to 30 percent of people around us, and they're the, they're the ones who've actually reached out and got some help for it. So that's obviously not just mild, but presumably a severe form of anxiety. And isn't it fascinating that we live in this this world where there's this huge industry, a medical industry, around dealing with anxiety? This is a good thing. I'm not saying it's bad in any way, but we diagnose it, we can name it, we can define it, we can medicate it, we can do a course, listen to a seminar, find strategies to manage it, and yet it seems that no matter what we do, we become more and more anxious. The one thing we cannot seem to do is actually get rid of it. Now, I guess in one sense that's not surprising. Jesus is saying this is part of the human condition. It's been around. Do not be anxious. It was there 2,000 years ago. We should expect, I guess, to find ourselves surrounded by a world of anxiety. And yet that's not Jesus' point, just pointing it out, is it? He is pointing us to something completely different. He comes along and he says, I'm not just going to give you some strategies in how to manage your anxiety. There's nothing wrong with strategies. I'm not saying there's any way at all that we should be against the medical industry that we've set up against helping us manage it. But Jesus comes along and says, I want to talk to you about how to eliminate it altogether. How to move from living an anxious life where you're continually just consumed by anxiety and live what I'm calling an assured life. Moving from anxious. That's how the Gentiles live. That's just perfectly, we should expect to see that. But there is a different sort of life for the believer. It's an assured life. A life free of anxiety. Completely fearless. Just think about that for a moment. Jesus is inviting us to that kind of life. An anxiety free life. What would that be like To live in that kind of a place, to wake up, to be free, to be fearless, to not struggle with this reality of the world around us of anxiety. So how do we do that? That's what I want us to reflect upon. What is the source of anxiety? And it's very simple. Jesus outlines here the source. He says... In verse 30, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And this is fascinating. Grab this. O you of little faith. See, he links in their faith with this reality of a failure to recognize who he is. It's that simple. That for some reason these people had lost sight of The reality of a God who cared about them. The the reality that he was a God who loved and desires to provide for his people. See, anxiety goes off course when it fails to acknowledge that God, our Heavenly Father, cares for us and he is in complete control. The moment we lose focus or we become more focused on our lack than his supply, of our struggles, than his sufficiency, we move into that place of anxiety where all of a sudden it's solely our responsibility to manage our lives. This is, this is what I've got to do. I've just got to take care of number one. I've got to live frenetically, trying to grab a hold and grasp a hold of what I can. It's that orphan mentality. I've got to take it while it's here. 
rather than this place of freedom and trust that Jesus is saying, have you forgotten who God is? Like, just think for a moment of this picture of a God. His desire and His delight is to take care of His children. So the source of anxiety is purely and simply this failure to recognize who He is. What is the solution? Well, again, it's equally as simple. It's recognizing the reality and learning to trust. And I say learning because... Wouldn't it be nice if we heard a sermon and it was just one step, away you go, tick the box, and you'll be fine. You'll be free from anxiety. But I have learnt in my life, as I'm sure many of you would also testify to, that this is a journey of learning to trust Him. Learning to reassure my heart that He is greater. That He cares for me. And that he is in control of my life. I'm sure all of us could share some, some moments of anxiety. For some of us probably mild. For some of us more significant and severe. But there was a season in my life that comes to mind. And uh, I know some of you would have heard this st- story before. But some years ago when my wife was pregnant with our first child. Um, we found out it was 27 weeks. We'd gone along for the, the first proper checkout found that there was significant and serious illness, in fact, at that particular point. And you imagine the excitement and the elation, your new parents, you're going along, it's fantastic, it's great, and you get that news that actually your baby's really sick. We think your baby's going to die. And as you can imagine, it's all, all those fears, all, all the, the wrestling through, it just kind of it hits you and it sits on you like this heavy weight. Um, they said in that particular meeting, they said, look, there's probably less than 5% chance that this baby will survive, but we'll do what we can. And so that began a season. This was 27 weeks for the rest of the pregnancy. My wife was in hospital. They were caring for her, um, taking care of this baby. I won't go into the details there. It's a sermon and a story for another day. But uh, I was continuing to work. I was visiting her where I could in the hospital during the day. And I remember there was this, this, this one evening, and, and I had at times, and for those who struggle with anxiety, you know, it comes out of the blue at times, and it literally just cripples you. I'd had times where all of a sudden, out of the blue, I could not get out of, off the couch. Like it just, the whole world shrinks around you, and you're just reduced and, and limited to this. It literally traps you in, hems you in. So I was having these anxiety, these panic attacks. I had all this wrestling going on. And in the midst of that scenario, and I remember exactly where I was on this evening. I'd just been in to visit my wife in hospital. I said goodbye to her. And I was pulled up at the traffic light, sitting outside the, the Woden Hospital, just, just crying out to God. Literally, all the emotions just going through. Like, God, what's going to happen? Is this baby going to live or die? Is my wife going to How do I make sense of any of this? And in the midst of the confusion and the anxiety and the uncertainty and everything else, it was one of the very few times that I'd say it was as close to an audible voice of the Lord as you'd ever get. Like it was not me thinking something. It was literally, I knew it was the Lord speaking. And it was simply this. As I sit there, I remember exactly where I was at the traffic lights. And God says, Andrew, do you trust me? It's a question. Andrew, do you trust me? I knew exactly what I thought in response. I said, well, God, tell me what's going to happen. And I'll tell you if I'm going to trust you. And isn't that the thing for us? We want to 
We want to um, anchor ourselves into the outcomes, into having all the ducks, you know, having life go the way we want, we want it to go. But I knew that's not what the Lord was inviting me to, to anchor my hope and my trust into an outcome. Andrew, do you trust me? I knew, I knew what he was asking me was, do you trust me that wherever this goes, whether it's the outcome you want, whether it's something different, whether it's an instant healing, whether it's a journey, do you trust, do you really trust me? Are you going to trust your capacity to, to manage this and to try and... Or will you trust me that I am your father, that I care for you, that I will provide and make a way, that I will leave, that I'll be with you, that I'll comfort you, that what, whatever it is that I am in, whatever happens, that I'm in control of your life. And that was a, a radical, pivotal moment for me. And I'd love to say that it was an instantaneous response. Yes, Lord, I'll trust you. And then anxiety lifts off and, you know, the heavens part. And, you know, that began a journey. Let's just put it that way. It was an invitation that began a journey of learning to trust him. Particularly in those hard moments. Where am I going to turn? Am I going to turn to trust in myself and my ability to figure this out and work it out? Or am I going to choose to trust in him? Now, I wasn't going to tell the rest of the story. If you want to hear the rest of the story, you can come back next week. But the very short story was um, the Lord really did an incredible miracle. And it was some journey later. Um, my daughter was born. She did have a heart condition, which was underlying one of the underlying issues. And then after five years, the Lord just healed her. Literally appeared to her in a vision, gave her a new heart. I still remember sitting in the doctor's office when he'd done the tests and he said, I can't figure it out. It's like she's got a new heart. It'd be nice as well if we could say that every story ended with a happy ending, wouldn't it? But the point of this is life is a journey of learning to trust. See, the source of anxiety, Jesus makes it clear, is simply this. It's us losing sight of who he is, of his love and his care for us. The moment we lose sight, we turn to other things. Ignatius of Loyola, he founded the Jesuits many, many years ago. And he said, I'll get it wrong, I haven't got it in my notes. Something along the lines of all sin comes from a failure to recognize that God has ultimately my best interests at heart. Every time I lose sight of that reality that he is trustworthy and that he is good, is the moment that I turn elsewhere, to myself, to sin, or to somewhere else. So here is the question for us, and it's a really simple question. The question is this, who do I trust? Who do I trust? Who am I going to trust? In the moments that I'm on the mountain, in the valleys, in the depths of despair, when things are going well, when things are going difficult. Who do I trust, and how does my life reflect that. Henry Nouwen, he has a great quote. He says this. He says, the issue here is this question, phrasing it another way, to whom do I belong, God or the world? Many of my daily preoccupations suggest that I belong more to the world than to God. A little criticism makes me angry. A little rejection makes me depressed. A little praise raises my spirits and a little success excites me. It takes very little to raise me up or thrust me down. I'm like a small boat on the ocean, completely at the mercy of the waves. 
all this time and energy I spent keeping some kind of balance and preventing myself from being tipped over and drowning shows that my life is mostly a struggle for survival, not a holy struggle, but an anxious struggle resulting from the mistaken idea that it's the world that defines me. See, there's this picture of one path which is destined, there's, there's no other option, human nature, if we go down that path, it is and forever will be an anxious struggle. That's just what it is. That's what the, if, if you're not trusting in God, then you're trusting in you. And forever there will be this reality of just tossed away, tossed around by the waves, by the seas of the world. But Jesus is inviting us to something far more radical, to trust in Him, to learn this journey of trusting in Him, to set us free from the anxious struggle and in fact become a people of assured freedom. I love this picture as well. He says in here, isn't life more than that? Like, is that really the picture of life you want? You're just tossed around, there's just anxiety, we're just crippled. Like, is, is, isn't life more than that? Is, is that really the reason that that I'm here as the Messiah, that I'm proclaiming the good news just to leave you in that place? Or is life more than this? Have I called you for a far greater reason? To live an assured life and proclaim that reality of what God offers us, an anxiety-free existence as we learn to trust Him. Mark Sayers, who's a, a pastor from Melbourne, I've been reading a little book of his. It's quite a title and it's quite a little book. He's a very um, contemporary thinker. He loves to shape his thoughts around modern church leadership. But his book's called this, A Non-Anxious Presence, How a Changing and Complex World Will Create a Remnant of Renewed Christian Leaders. How many think that sounds like an enticing title? <laughs> it's a bit of a read. But it's, it's worth having a look at what he has to say. If you don't have the time, I'll give you the headline. This is what he says. He talks about the fact that we've entered this chaotic, confusing, anxious and complex place, in his own words, filled with change, where anything can happen, a little, little can be predicted, where yesterday's rule takers become tomorrow's rule markers, but no one follows the rules anymore, and where competing global visions collide with each other. Sound about right? Sounds like some of the chaos that swirls around us. But in the midst of that, he asked this question, how do we lead in a moment like this? Well, we could say, he's focusing on Christian leaders, we could say, how do we live? How do we live our lives when there's this swirling cacophony of noise around us? Well, there's many things that are key, but this is what he summarized. He says, the greatest need in Christian leaders today is to encounter the presence of God and become what he calls non-anxious presences in an anxious world. What we need the most is to be non-anxious. In this culture of anxiety which breeds this panic and this irrationality, what we need the most is a people who live an assured life, who can stand in the truth of who he is and who he's called them to be. The example he gives, which I think is a good one, he says, imagine the building's on fire. The last thing you need when the building on fire is some panicked fire marshal who is screaming that there's flames everywhere and in some great panic confuses people with their irrational gibberish rather than 
the quiet, assured leader who says, there is a fire and this is the way we need to go. Follow me. Interesting conclusion. Point being this. See, not only does this reality of an assured life enable us to live in greater freedom, assurance and stability, it equips us to live with a far greater purpose and power. Not giving in to the relative panic and the culture of anxiety, but being a people who can proclaim the kingdom of our God. Why don't you come really quickly to Philippians 4 verse 6. I want to look at this passage and then I will try and land this somewhere. Paul's writing Philippians, he writes about many different things, but this is his concluding remarks, remembering that he's writing from prison and he's encouraging them in the midst of their challenges to have joy, to keep their eyes fixed upon the Lord. He says this, Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about, what does your translation say? Does it say anything? It does? Anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, the flip side of that is, that means that anything can potentially be a source of anxiety, yeah? So he's saying, don't let anything cause you anxiety, but instead, that's a comma, not a full stop, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So he identifies a problem. He's saying there will be issues. Anything can cause us anxiety. But our mission is not to try and hold on to these things. It's a process. He's saying when there are things that are causing you anxiety, bring them to the Lord. Release and receive. Prayer and thanksgiving. Sometimes we, we're okay with the prayer, but we're not so good with the thanksgiving. Release and receive. Come and give the Lord your burdens. And say thank you. Just thank you. Thank you for your peace. Thank you that you've got this. Thank you that you're in control. Thank you that you're with me. Thank you that you're for me. Thank you that I can put my faith and my hope and my trust in you. The problem, the process. And grab this promise. He says, the ESV as I read to you, it says, The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. One of the older translations, and I love this because this is the context of the verse. It literally says this, The God of peace himself will stand sentinel over your heart and your mind. God himself, not some abstract sort of peace. God himself will guard you. That's the promise. It's kind of like, well, if, if you want to be in charge, if you want to stand guard over all your anxieties, and you know, good luck to you. But here's the invitation. Don't hold on to them. Bring them by prayer and with thanksgiving to the Lord, and He will guard over you. He Himself will guard your heart and your mind. So we can carry or we can cast. We can try and control and cultivate the things around us, and it's inevitable. It's inevitable. It's a foregone conclusion. It will only lead to greater anxiety. Or we can learn this way of trust, giving it to Him, walking the path of trust, 
And that's the place where we find his peace. And the God of peace. That he himself will reign and rule and guard our hearts. You see, we are not created to remain paralyzed in anxiety. We're not. We're not. It's not why he created us. We're created for more. We're not called to just be consumed in this incessant cycle. We were, we were not created to offer you know, anxious, quick-fix solutions, just superficial band-aids to retreat and hide. We were made in the image of God, this God who brings chaos to order, who brings peace into the midst of storms. We're called to live in and bring His kingdom of peace as He taught us to pray Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To be a people not of anxiety, but of assurance. So would you put your Bibles away? I want to ask you a couple of questions. I will not attempt to play some background music and pray. That would go badly for all of us. So just in the silence and the quietness of this moment. I want to give us this challenge. What, what is it if you're honest? What or who are you letting rule in your heart? Is anxiety present? If so, is it because there's something in yourself that's trying to hang on to rule and reign? I've got, I've got to make this happen. Second question is this. Who is it, if I'm honest, that I really trust? Who do you trust? And how does my life reflect that kind of trust? Andrew, Catherine, Justin, do you trust me? Do you really trust me? And you know, as I was just praying into and reflecting upon this message this morning. And there's that, there's that sense of invitation and exhortation. But there was also this sense of, like even this morning, as I said before the services, the Lord has put the words of an old song we used to sing. Father of lights, you delight in your children. And it goes on, the chorus says this, every good and perfect gift comes from And there was actually, almost in the midst of this, there was this sense of of grief, of the way that we grieve the heart of the Lord at times. He's like, am I not good enough? Don't they see where good gifts come from? What's happened to a people who are so more willing, and again, it's not bad, but to turn to the wisdom of the age, turn to this person for advice and that person. Turn to doctors, nothing wrong with doctors. Turn to counselors. Turn to this and that, and God can use all of that. But what is our first response? Is it turn to us and to the systems of the world, or is it to turn to Him? It's almost this grief, don't don't, don't they see? Am I not good enough? Am I not big enough? Aren't I the God that's, that's part of the seas? Aren't I the God that says I'll be with them to the end of the age? Aren't I, as Jesus proclaimed, the God who said he, his delight 
There's no reluctance. He loves to take care of the details of your life, the big, the small, and everything in the middle. That's who he is. And all he requires of us, that simple question, invitation, is will you trust me? Will you trust me? That's my invitation this morning. He says, I pray for us, that the Lord would reveal any areas of our lives and he'd call us back to that place of trusting in him that we might move from an anxious to an assured place. This constricted, captive world is what anxiety does to the freedom and the assurance of who he's called us to be. So, Father, I, I just pray for us this morning. I thank you even just here, just for that stillness of your presence. Thank you that there's nothing that we need to do to, to strive. Nothing we need to work up within ourselves. It's your grace and it's your mercy and it's your goodness that draws us back to that place of dependence and trust. So I pray for each and every one of us here this morning, Lord, that where anxiety has ruled, be it in little ways, be it in a, a crippling way, Lord, that this would be a moment of stepping from that anxious place back to being an assured people. That where, Lord, we've got a far greater sense of the reality of the, the problems around us than we do of the provision. And the promise of the God who loves us, then help us, Lord, to get our eyes back upon you. Lord, where we've fallen into the trap of relying on ourselves, of we've got to work this out, Lord, bring us back to that place of dependence upon you. Lord, not that peace would just be our pillow, although I pray for that, be a place to rest but that your peace would be our proclamation. That we would be a non-anxious presence and assured people who speak to the storms. Be still in Jesus' name. Come and settle the hearts and lives of your people. Come and draw us back to you, Lord. Let us see you for who you are.